take our Bibles. We want to turn to really two different passages this morning. I want to start out in Mark chapter 3, and something Jesus had to tell us, um, I think, that applies to the home. And then we're going to be looking back at Genesis chapter 2 and look at it a little bit more uh, from the beginning of how God really intended the home to be. And so the title of the message, and we'll get to this in just a minute on why we would call it this, the loosing of the strong man. The loosing of the strong man. Society is really in conflict over moral authority. Where do you get your moral authority? How do you know what's right and what's wrong? Well, the, the communist society would say it's the state's responsibility to tell you what's right and wrong. With, in the West, it's more the individual. Now, I'm not saying we don't have a constitution that we, we go by, but individually, basically, we're saying whatever's true for you. No moral absolutes, just whatever's true for you. And so you, you take what's in your mind, the perceptions you have of the world, your, the little world that we all live in, whatever that may be in your life, and then form opinions over that that are really going to make the difference of right and wrong in your life. Now, while we're doing that, please keep in mind that we do have a sovereign God. He's given us a, a word uh, from him to say there are moral absolutes, and I am, he says, I am sovereign enough, God is sovereign enough, to give you the word that you need to know, right and wrong, a manual kind of for life, not only on how to get to know him as your personal Savior, but how to get to know his character, and also really know how to live. I mean, that's fair. If he's going to call us to follow him, he needs to tell us the direction. And so, as understanding that because we live in a conflicting world, the Bible, and being a universal book, is going to conflict with moral standards of any day. You, you might be saying, well, you know, the Bible doesn't li line up with our culture today. We've got to change things up a little bit. But keep in mind, there are many cultures in the world today. You go out to the Middle East, and they like the part about how we ought to... Um, have moral absolutes, that, that sex is outside of marriage is wrong, and all those kind of things. While in the West, we're going to lean more toward love and forgiveness and, and the things that we can do in order to maybe to, to bend those moral absolutes a little bit. And so we in the West would say, this is one part of the Bible we believe, and here's one part that we don't, but it's just the opposite in the Middle East. There are hundreds of cultures all over the world today, and when you look at the last 2,000 years since Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, boy, there are multitudes and multitudes of cultures. And so the Bible being written, the last book written, closed out 2,000 years ago, obviously, if it's, if it's universal, if it's meant for every day, is going to be conflicted and conflicting with many of the moral um, uh, ways and our mores as we live this life. And so we need to keep in mind the Bible was given to us as a guidebook to how to know God, first of all, but then how to live our life as well. And if we want to continually change the Bible, the Bible will never be able to change us. So what does the Bible teach about the family? We'll be looking at that a little bit this morning and then looking at that in the next five weeks as well as we look at some practical applications even to what we're going to be saying this morning. But as we look in the Bible, <clears throat> we understand that the, the basic thing that people disagree with, maybe in America, is who is the leader in the home, and is there, should there be a leader at all? Now, the Bible t tells us how important it is in Mark chapter 3 
about leadership. It says, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, Jesus is possessed with Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he has cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to him in parables, I, how can I cast out Satan? Now, this is a parable, and this is an illustration is what he's saying. How can I, uh, Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one, here's, here's the application to the house. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Now the picture is given here that, that Jesus is being accused of having demons and really being from the devil himself because he had opposition. And anytime you have opposition and you really can't refute any of the miracles that are going on, of course, and so you attack the man. And so with attacking the man, he says, hey, He's from, he's from the devil. And Jesus said, a house divided itself cannot stand. If I were the devil doing the God's, God's work, the devil's house would stand. He says, just like, as he gives an illustration, your own house. How can someone come in and steal and plunder your house if there's a strong man in the house? But if somehow you bind the strong man, then anything that can come in, robbers, crooks, and in this case, a satanic influence can come into your house and plunder your house. And so leadership in the home is not only vital to give direction, but leadership in the home is also vital to give protection as well. And now, now who is this leader? I mean, nobody, nobody wants to be a follower, you know, in America. Everybody wants to be the Batman. Nobody wants to be Robin. You know, we think to ourselves, you know, being a follower is a bad thing. In fact, what you want to do, especially if you've never led an organization before, you want to be the leader. Why do you want to be a leader? Because you can do whatever you want to do. That is not what leadership's about. Even the business world in the last several years has learned that you just go, don't go in. It's not like on TV where you just boss people around. A leader is a servant leader. He makes decisions based upon the good of his company, but also the people that work for them as well because the people make up the company. And so leadership is a servant type of role. It's a huge responsibility. Things fall on your shoulders. And the, that's why the Bible says don't even aspire to leadership, in certain, big time leadership in the church because you come, the higher you go up in leadership, the more responsibility you have, the higher the bar goes, you might say. And so don't even aspire to that. It, says, it mentions in the Bible, and we know this to be true in our lives, that leadership is a big responsibility. Now, I say that going in because I know that you know what I'm going to say because the Bible t tells, about, tells about the leader being the man of the house. And with that in mind, please keep in mind, guys, that I know that you're going to feel a little bit on the spot this morning, and I'm going to try to take a lot of that pressure off of you as we look through the Scripture because I think that sometimes it's placed on us um, unwantingly, but also is placed on us, and we really don't understand what's going on. I was talking, I've sort of talked over the years, especially lately, to some guys here in the church that you might even say we're real good spiritual leaders. And I've talked to other guys, and, they, and I've said, hey, you know, what about praying with your wife? What do you do about that as far as kind of being innovative a little bit, you know? And they say, you know, that's the hardest thing that I do. 
the hardest thing that I do in life is pray with my wife. Now, why is that? Why is leadership, in that sense, such a huge responsibility? It seems like Satan's binding you in certain areas. So we're going to look at this. Who is the strong man and why it's important? Secondly, what does it mean? And thirdly, what does that strong man need? First of all, what is the strong man? He says, you need to bind this strong man. Well, the Bible tells us here, again, that Satan is the leader of the demons. He rebelled against God. He was cast out of heaven because he wanted to rule. And the Bible teaches us with single homes withstanding that the leader, the primary leader of the home is the husband or the father of that home. Ephesians 5, Paul pulls off Genesis as well as other uh, places in the Bible where he says this, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself being the Savior. Now, the idea here, if God, or rather Satan, can somehow bind the leader of the home, then he can come in and pretty much do, do whatever he wants to do to ruin your family. And so, dear friends, this is important. So what does head mean? The head obviously implies leadership. But something else that we don't understand is what, when Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 5, he's pulling from Genesis chapter 2, and it's going to help us to understand this a little bit better. In our other passages in Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to be staying in this passage here for the next few minutes, he says, the Lord God said at creation, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Then we look on down in Genesis uh, 1 or 2, 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now, here's what Paul is saying. The head means source. It not only means leadership, the leader, but it also means the source. And all Paul was doing in comparing the husband-wife relationship to Christ and the church in Ephesians chapter 5 is just simply looking back to Genesis. And he's saying, the man was the source of the woman. Therefore, whatever you're the source of, you have responsibility for. We know that as parents. Children come from the womb of the mother, but both father and mother are very much involved here. And they be, those children become the responsibility of the parents. The parents are the source the children of the responsibility. That's a thread running all throughout the Bible, and, and uh, the Apostle Paul knew that in Ephesians chapter 5, and he says, just as Christ is the source of the church, the husband is the source of the wife as well, and there's responsibility. Now, I want you to notice something in this passage, and I'm working a little bit backwards here, but in verse 19, he says, now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see Though what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now, we can get the picture. What's going on here? I mean, here's God. I guess he comes to Adam maybe, and he says, look, Adam, you know, I've been, whew, I've been working for six days, and I'm kind of stressed, you know? And I don't know what to call these animals. I have no idea. So why don't you just give them a name? Is that what was happening? No. Because, you see, in the Old Testament, when you named something, it was because you were responsible for it. Now, would you look this way? A lot of, a lot of movement going on. Look this way, all right? Um, you have here in the Scripture, it says, 
The man gives, gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. Where did you heard that, have we heard that before? Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God was given dominion. He was given the rulership of the world over to mankind. And in doing that, he's saying, look, when you name something, you're responsible for it. You know, in the Old Testament, when you gave a name to your child, it wasn't just because the name sounded good. The reason you gave the name to the, the child because you had aspirations for that child. And you, you gave it a name like, I don't know, Joseph, meaning Savior, Jesus, meaning Savior. You gave um, uh, uh, Peter a name because he was the rock. Jesus even changed his name from Simon to Peter because this is the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so you can see in the Bible that names were very important. Now, as we look at this, we understand that God was saying to us, look, he named it just like he named every animal. He also named the woman. It came from him as a source. He is to be the leader of that. Now, what does this word helper mean? In Genesis uh, 2.18, he says, I will make a helper fit for him. Fit for him. I will make a helper. Say this with me. Fit for him. Say that with me. Fit for him. Fit for him. What does all that mean? Well, again, no one wants to be the little helper. You know, come on, your daddy's little helper. You know, you learned that as a child, right? You can't do this on your own, so daddy's going to come and help you, and you just watch and hand him the tools, right? And so that's what that means. And so you think that's a demeaning ter term. It's like a servant or something. Actually, in the Bible, the whole idea of the word helper has a very high connotation to it. Did you know in J John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, was called our helper? over and over and over again in that passage. He is our helper. He is our helper. What is he helping us to do? He's helping us to complete our life in Christ. And so he empowers us. And that's what the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall receive power. And so to help someone means to empower them. Notice the Bible tells us that <clears throat> God placed man and woman, said them, over the dominion of the world. First, he created Adam, and he created... Now, I don't want to tell you that God did something incomplete because he always does things according to his purpose. But he created Adam knowing that he had certain strengths and certain gifts that he just did not have. And the idea was now he creates woman to complete the man. So in these marriage ceremonies and somebody said, oh, you just complete me, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's where it originally came from that you have certain gifts, ladies, and you come and empower your husband with those certain gifts of gifts that he does not have. Now, I know that there's a lot of different gifts. There's spiritual gifts. Some women have the same gifts that men have. Some women have the same talents that men have. Men have the same talents that women have. But we're just different. And, and to not notice that, guys, is really a big mistake. Okay? I'm just telling you. You can laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Give me a courtesy laugh. I want to hear it. Okay, thank you very much. Oh, that's really good. Can I call on you again? Um, yeah, you know, we're all different. There, there was a, I've given a lot of illustrations of this over the years, but let me give you a new one. There was a recent study done about toddlers. You know what toddlers, you know, crawlers, you know, creepy crawlers, you know, they, they're on the floor, they're not standing up yet. 
And so they're crawling on the floor, and in the experiment, something was, an object was placed in front of them. With the boys, they would just come along and knock it out of the way or run, slap over it. The girls would go around it. You see, just different ways of handling a problem. And so we are different. Women tend to be more sensitive than men. You say, oh, I know some sensitive guys. Yeah, but you take the most sensitive guy you know. There's a lot. I mean, there's probably 30, 40% of the women. I'm just throwing out statistics here. But a lot of ladies that are far more sensitive than that. You say, well, I know some pretty, pretty uh, mean, calloused, you know, kind of uh, women that, you know. Yeah, I know you do. But if you take that woman, there, there's so many other men that are meaner, you know, and more calloused. And so the things sort of overlap, but they kind of go like this, you know. So <clears throat> we're different <clears throat> for a reason. Because men do not have everything they need in order to accomplish the task of life. Neither do the ladies, neither do the women. Now, we look at this, and we understand that this is the source. There's a leadership involved as well. But it's an equal but different thing. Ephesians 5.22, one of the most unpopular verses in all the Bible. In fact, if I were out on the street corner preaching this, um, that would be, probably be my last day on the earth uh, with a hostile environment. Wives, submit your, to your own husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5.22, what does that mean? It means to give them proper rank. It, you know, Bill Gothard used to tell the story about having, like God being a big umbrella of protection, protecting you from the wiles of the devil. And then the, the husband is right under that with his umbrella, and then the wife is under that with her umbrella, and then there's the children. And the idea is, when you rebel against the Lord, 1 Samuel 15, 23, it's like the sin under witchcraft. And you know what that is, right? Witchcraft, you open yourself up to the, to the influence of the devil himself. Well, rebellion against what God wants you to do is like that. And men, what you're doing is taking your whole family outside of that umbrella of protection of God. And that's the reason when you're bound in any way, Satan is free to come in and ransack your house, your marriage, your children, because you're not under the authority of the Lord. Well, how does this all... Now, does that mean that women uh, don't have a say in the house? No. But it does mean... There's a certain level of trust that has to go on. A certain level of trust that says, and men want to be admired, and this is the biggest admiration I can think of to do, ladies or, or young people, to your dad. Um, we, we, we had a situation here that I wanted some advice on, and so there's certain men in the church, certain people in the church, really, that I call on and say, what do you think about this? Kind of. Well, this particular fellow did not understand everything that was going on, and, and, and the, but he understood some. And he, he shared with me, he says, well, I think maybe we ought to do this. But then he said, but then again, Pastor, I trust you. And I know you know the situation. And I know you'll call on God to give you the answer. And so I'm good with it. Whatever God tells you. That is what I'm talking about. He had an opinion. A lot of times I listen to that opinion. Sometimes, you know, God tells me something different. But I trust you. Greatest compliment you could ever give to your husband or to your dad. So what does it mean? It doesn't mean that as a leader you're a tyrant, a dictator, abusive, a boss, 
Submission does not mean to get stepped on. That is of the world. That is just simply of the world. And I've heard that preached a lot of times. I mean, not really that, but in the churches I grew up in, you would think that that's kind of the way it is. You know, you get knocked down, you just get back up. That's not what that refers to at all. It's based upon, guys, your salvation experience. It's based upon God changing your heart. The way of the world and the old way, in fact, the world, I mean, unless you get into communist countries, dictatorships, and other nations, you will not see that kind of uh, a model in America that's successful in the business world. You just won't. <clears throat> you treat your employees well, and they're going to bless you most of the time. But it means your salvation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so he's talking here in Ephesians chapter 5. And in Mark chapter 3, he's challenging those that are following him. Look, this is what you need to do as Christian men. And the reason why you need Christ is because we're selfish as people. And because of that, we just want our own way. You've got people that are powerful, they're big, they're strong, and they just dominate people. You've got other people who are maybe not so strong, they manipulate people. Other people are great salespeople. And so they, they sell, they persuade, but all people that are outside of Christ just simply want their way. And that's the reason when we read these passages, they're unacceptable to us. But then it not only means a saved man, but a spirit-filled man. In, right before Ephesians 5.22, where it says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands. This is what it says. Do not be drunk with wine, for this is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, joy. A new attitude. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything. A grateful heart. Not only a spirit-filled heart, joyful heart, but a thankful heart. And he says, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. It's talking about the church as a whole. Then he begins to give examples. And he gives an example of the home. And so we look at this passage and we realize that as the man is drunk with wine, he says, don't be drunk with wine. But as the man is drunk with the wine, and what happens? His, his walk is controlled by the wine. You be that controlled by the Spirit of God. You be that filled. You're filled with wine, and because of that, it bothers your mind and your speech is slurred. Your, the wine controls your speech. You be that controlled, that filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why it says this in this passage. What a responsibility. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What did Christ do? Christ died for us. He forgave us. He cleansed us. He gave us grace. He put us first. Why is it that so many young people as well as, as wives have trouble to say, hey, I trust you? Because sometimes men are not trustworthy. Not the servant leader. They're putting themselves first. They even decorate things in their mind to somehow, we do this, guys. We, we sort of change things up a little bit to make ourselves look better, make the situation look better, make us look unselfish. But the bottom line is we're putting ourselves first. That is not Christ-like. So how do you do this? What are some of the ingredients that come in when you're talking about putting your wife and family first? It's priority. 
Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. That should become one flesh. You're one flesh. You're, you're one together. Your body becomes her body. Her body becomes your body. You're, you're one with one another. And as we look at this passage, we understand there's a priority. It's like pastoring your family. No pastor worth his salt is going to put himself first. He's not going to last long if he does. He has to put the people first that he is serving. Same way with pastoring the family. You make decisions based upon what is the best for your family. And, and I'm telling you, when this man told me, I trust you, what, what does that do? Not only does it make me feel good, but boy, it puts a huge responsibility on my shoulders. Huge responsibility. Guys, can you imagine your wife coming to you and saying, you know, look, I, I don't, first, first pass is, I don't want to move to Minnesota. It's cold up there. You know, there, I don't even think there's a mall up there. I've heard no, no malls. <laughs> I know there's no golf course that you can't even play golf for three months out of the year up there. You don't want to move. Kids don't want to move. But after blowing off a little steam, you just come back and say, I've prayed about it. You've got to do what you've got to do. I trust you. And he's thinking, wow, that's great. And then his second thought is, wow, you mean I'm not going to be able to blame this on her? <laughs> I've got this big responsibility on my own. I better make sure that I'm making the right decision. It's kind of like the monkey uh, on your back. Uh, my brother-in-law, who's a pastor for years, showed me this little cartoon years ago. And it's a picture, some of you business guys, I'm sure, saw it. It's about 30 years ago or so, 20 years ago. And uh, it's a picture of an office. And in this little cartoon, this guy's walking around an office with a big monkey on his back. And he comes up to a guy and says, I've got a problem. And he shares the problem. And his supervisor says, I'll take care of that for you. And the monkey jumps on the supervisor's back. Well, the supervisor looks into it, and he comes around, and his supervisor says, what's wrong? What's going on? You look kind of burdened. And he says, yeah, I got this, and he tells him the problem. He said, oh, don't worry about that. I'll take care of it. And the monkey jumps on the other guy's back. The responsibility. The monkey stands for the burden of responsibility. It is a burden of responsibility to make the right decision, to make the wise decision, to follow Jesus Christ, making sure you're doing what God wants you to do. Ladies, the monkey's off your back. I'm not saying you can't participate. You need to. You need to complete what is lacking in your husband. You need, it helps him to think with all, all the facts being in when you share with him your thoughts. But then you, you say, hey, look, monkey's off my back. And he says, I'll take care of it. That's what spiritual leadership is about, priority. But I need to hurry. It's also provision. In fact, there's three things basically mentioned in the Bible that you need to expect from your husband. And after that, you can't expect anything. And that's very important. Protection, provision, provision, protection, and fidelity. Financial provision. I know that I speak to most people here. When I look at Ephesians 5.29, it says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. The word nourish means to provide. <clears throat> means to provide financially. Now, I know that there's certain people in society today, especially maybe in America, and some of Europe, where the woman in the house, the wife of the house, 
is more educated, you, you, or maybe you've got a degree that actually will allow you to get paid something, you know, because some people go to school and major in Latin, and, you know, there, there you go. And so, and, and you say, well, you know, I can, I can nourish the children now that they're uh, no longer, now they're no longer uh, uh, breastfeeding or, or formula or whatever, you know, you know, it's okay, you go to work, I'll stay. I know that there's a few cases like that, but guys, even when it is, it's your responsibility according to the scriptures, to see that it gets done, to see the provision and food is placed upon the table. When things get tight, it's still your responsibility. Most of you say, hey, you know, I provide for my family. Then then that's great because you're a a leader in your home by doing that. What about, however, spiritual provision? What about training and discipline of children? What about that he might, uh, Paul said, that he, he might sanctify his wife, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word? What about Ephesians 6, 4? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ultimately, the responsibility of the salvation for my children are, are mine. Does that mean I have to be the only one read the Bible to them? No, usually, in fact, sometimes... A lot of times, that's the other way around. Mom spends more time with the kids, but it's still your responsibility to make sure it gets done. Your responsibility. You know, you, you wake up on Sunday morning, I'm just telling you. You know, as the young people used to say, maybe you're still saying it, I'm just saying. Okay, well, I'm just saying. All right? You get up in the morning, and your wife says, I just don't feel like going to church today. And you think, all right. Your responsibility to make sure your wife and your children are here. Your responsibility to make sure they get the Christian education they need. Your responsibility to make sure they come to know Christ. And you know that's true. I tell a story in the um, dinner with the pastor about my dad and his testimony. My dad did not uh, receive Christ until he was 43 years old. And one of the big things in his life after thinking to himself, I'm just as good as anybody else in the church. And he was a good man. He still is a good man. But one day, my brother and he were alone in the car. And uh, my brother said, Dad, my Sunday school teacher said you sure would be proud of me if I got saved. And my dad paused for a minute. He said, well, son, I... I'd be proud of you no matter what you did. Well, that seemed to satisfy my brother for the time being. He got in a car and went, went to a, one of the stores there in the shopping center where they were. But my dad said, he, he said, I got to thinking, if one of my boys were to die right now, they'd go to hell, and I'd be responsible. You see, we feel that responsibility. We may run from it. We may hide from it. We may be passive with it. But the burden's on us to lead and provide spiritually for our children, but also protection. Now, that, that means, in fact, Ephesians 5.29 cherishes it. Cherish means to protect. And that includes getting, up, getting at your favorite baseball bat in the middle of the night, going to check on the bump in the night, okay? But also means protecting your child spiritually, How do you do that? Well, many of you make decisions to get them in the right church. Many of you make decisions. Oh, you you can only watch these things on TV, only these kind of movies. Why do do parents do that to protect their children? But, dear friend, if Satan has you bound, if you're not a Christian, 
you're not walking with the Lord, pornography problems in your life, adultery, just not interested in the things of God, passive, passing everything along to your wife. It's just not going to work for you. You're opening yourself up to the powers of Satan. The hardest thing, you say, well, you know, I need to pray with them. I need to read the Bible. You, you know, you, you just need to give them a Christian education. And both parents need to pray. But dear friends, yeah, you need to pray. Pray for them. Pray with them. You say, that's so hard for me to do. You know, there's something about the pride there. There's something about I want, men want to be admired. And when you open yourself up and start praying and start revealing your heart a little bit, boy, it gets vulnerable. Not only that, but you might start a conversation that you don't want to start. Or you're just praying around the world. Prayers doesn't mean anything. So why do it? And so what do you do? How do you go through this? You live, let me give you the last two things and I got to move on. A pattern that we're going to be looking at, you got to live it. We'll be looking at that uh, soon. Prayer, you need to pray for them. You say, well, it's hard. Well, JFK said, we don't do things because they're easy. We do them because they are hard. We do things because they're difficult in our life to pull off, and it helps us to grow. So what do you need? Well, you can't demand it. You can't demand leadership, guys. You just can't. A, a wife that does not want to be led cannot be led. I've come to that conclusion in my life. Just like I have friends that have gone to one church and led the church, gone to another church, and, and they wouldn't be led. People cannot be led unless they're willing to be led. And so that old joke where a guy says, I know I'm the leader of my home, my wife lets me, there's a lot more truth to that than you know. You know, one guy was talking to another guy and said, man, I noticed you let your wife run over you. Are you a man or a mouse? Man thought for a minute. He says, well, I must be a man. My wife's afraid of a mouse. But anyway, what do you need? What do you need? You need encouragement from your wife. You need encouragement. And here's the dark side of the message. The dark side is I'm raising expectations among you ladies. And your, your husband knows that. The expectations are now raised. You're thinking to yourself, huh, I wonder if he's going to do anything with this. I wonder if he learned anything today. Boy, I'm glad I got him to church today. And here, here is, whether you like it or not, ladies, I'm not saying it's a godly thing because it's not. It's just a human thing. The higher your expectations go, the more he tries to pull them down because he can't meet them. There's no way. He's, he, 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 can't, he feels like he just can't do it. So he pulls them down. And so the more, how do you pull it down? You just don't do what you need to do. In fact, you do worse. And if you do worse, then it's, it's going to kind of come down. When you put expectations and what's going to happen? Well, let's see if he prays with me. Let's see if he pray. Let's see if he get, does any better at home. And when he does, you're thinking, well, but no big deal. That's what he's supposed to do. But if you're not expecting it, you're thinking, wow, I'm really grateful for that God, and I'm grateful for my husband. He's he's stepping up. He's stepping up. And so, what what do you do, ladies, when he prays with you? Maybe you don't want to be passive aggressive here. You don't want to say, well. You know, that was good. I'm glad you finally stepped up to the plate. And you don't want, listen, until he really gets in the habit of doing it, I'm just trying to be practical here. You, you don't want to, if he prays over little Johnny, you don't want to say amen and then just say, you know, I've been so burdened for Johnny. 
and then you start a 30, 45-minute conversation. Guys don't want to talk about that. I'm just telling you, that's good once he gets in the habit. That's good. You pick your times on all that. But you just simply say, wow, that really meant a lot to me. Thank you for doing that. That's it. And you say, well, you know, I ought to be able to say a lot more. Yeah, you can. You can say anything you want to say. But it just depends on whether you want your husband to be encouraged and being the spiritual leader or just run uphill the whole way. It just depends. Secondly, you've got, you, he has to have respect of your children. The one of the biggest needs of a man, if not the biggest need, is to simply, for his family, to respect him. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Listen, I got to tell you this. I may come back to it in the series, but you can never, never, never allow your children to disrespect one of their parents. You just can't. They start treating dad like, I don't know, Homer Simpson. Does that ring a bell? And they'll never respect him. They'll never listen to him. He'd just be a big joke. So, well, the reason they disrespect is, you know, they're trying to get their way. Everybody wants to get their way. And so they're, they're dragging down one and, and manipulating things. And dad said this, mom said this. I don't, think, I don't think Brandon would mind me telling the story. Back when he was, um, our oldest was about 14, 15 years old, we went through a period of time about three times, only times that we really went at it verbally. He started it, and I finished it. You know what I'm saying? And so um, he went to his room. I went in, and I said, look, I've been analyzing this. I said, have you noticed that we kind of bump butt heads more than the other two put together? He said, yeah, I've noticed that. Why is that? I said, well, just think about it. The three times we butt heads, they have something in common. And each time you've disrespected your mother. So I tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. Whatever the problem is, we won't butt heads. We'll just talk about things real calmly. But you cannot disrespect your mother again. He said, I can do that. He's a reasonable kid. You could reason with him. Okay, I won't do that. I can do that. He never disrespected his mom again. And as far as I can remember, we've never butt heads on things again. Not like that, ever. Don't, you cannot allow them to talk down your spouse. Respect. They need respect in the home. They need a grateful family, not raised in the expectations, but just simply say, I'm grateful for whatever dad is doing. Lastly, you need the Holy Spirit. The task is impossible by yourself. And before I leave this message, let me just say this. That the strong man, all the way down through history and every civilization that I can ever study, has always been the man, the leader of the home. Even when they don't have a Bible. But we know that, don't we? We, we know the burden the monkey is on our back. One of my favorite stories, a guy stood up, true story, he stood up in a men's um, event and gave his testimony. And um, in a nutshell, he was saying he never went to church. He'd always watch, uh, you know, he'd always read the newspaper as his kids went, kids and wife went to church. They'd come back and then he would just watch the NFL all day. Well, one day he was about ready to watch the ball game. His daughter was sitting right in front of him, pretty much the size of the one's on the stage, about four, five, six years old. She sat down there, and he said, 
honey, come on up here and sit in daddy's lap. So she jumps up there and he says, um, hey, what'd you learn in church today? He had never asked her that before. What'd you learn in church today? And she said, well, we talked about heaven today, daddy. Well, that's great. What, what about it? He said, well, the teacher asked if we wanted to go to heaven one day. And Susie wanted to go to heaven. She's my friend. And Johnny wanted to go to heaven. I mentioned a couple of names. He says, this is his testimony. He says, I knew I shouldn't have asked the question. But I said, honey, where did you tell the teacher you wanted to go? And she replied with a big smile on her face, Daddy, I told the teacher that I wanted to go wherever you go. He set his little girl down on the floor very gently, walked into his bedroom, got down on his knees and in tears, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. That's his responsibility. And it's yours. So in the beginning, if you've never received Jesus into your heart, you need the power in your life that you're going to need to take your family and protect your family and take them where they need to go. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to encourage you right now, if you've never received Christ, to make that decision in your life today. You can do so by praying this prayer silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you for loving me enough to send Christ to die on the cross for me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I fall short. And so I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, and I ask Jesus to come into my life and my heart. Help me to be that leader in the home that I need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.